Welcome to the Illuminating Primary Care Podcast, a general practice podcast brought to you by Menlo Park Recruitment. Illuminating Primary Care is here to quiz primary care leaders to offer professional knowledge, experience and insight. Welcome to today's episode of Illuminating Primary Care with Menlo Park Recruitment. Uh, I'm your host today, Kieran Fletcher, and my guest today is Anna Smith. Thank you for joining me, Anna. Um, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Um, could you please give our listeners a little bit of background about you and tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, so um, I'm an NHS GP. I've been an NHS GP for like 28 years. Um, But about five or six years ago, I decided to sort of diversify a little bit career-wise. You know, general practice was quite intense at the time. Mm. So I trained in medical acupuncture with the British Medical Acupuncture Society in London. um, And I really enjoyed that. I I started a private practice. I did my diploma and certificate in medical acupuncture. And I found like I had more time with patients, which I really enjoyed, And I've always been interested in kind of lifestyle medicine, how our lifestyles affect our health. So I started to um, sort of include some of that holistic approach, really, to some of the patients I saw in acupuncture. Um, And then I went on to do my lifestyle medicine diploma uh, with the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine. And subsequent to that, I've trained with mind-body medicine, looking at sort of things like chronic pain and medically unexplained symptoms, which has an interest for me because of stress and childhood trauma. Mm. Okay. Yeah, not not your average GP's background then, I think would be fair to say. Um, Brilliant. Okay. Well, as as, uh, our listeners will know, you know, you and I have had a conversation prior to this just to kind of talk through some points that we want to be able to discuss. Um, and I think a, a really good point to start with there would be um, potentially a little bit about what you've done with the acupuncture side of things. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that in, in a little bit of greater depth and how that's kind of led you to where you are now and what, anything you particularly found from, from doing the acupuncture side of things going from having been a, uh, let's say, standard GP? Mm. I think... I think my diversification into acupuncture, sorry, it goes back a little bit, um, is about looking more as a holistic GP at patient, you know, with patients' problems. And I think that in general practice, NHS general practice, you have very little time. You have sort of 10 minutes. And what happened Mm. when I um, opened my acupuncture clinic after my training was I had time with patients to really explore things in more depth. And therefore... And I've always been interested in lifestyle medicine for many years. Mm. And so it gave me a chance to look at sort of the whole person. Um, Okay. The acupuncture I found really interesting because it, again, feeds, it it sort of treats a lot of what we call mind-body conditions and those medically unexplained conditions or um, sort of things like chronic pain and fibromyalgia, migraine and things. So it opened up another world of saying, there actually was a way of helping these people in a more holistic manner. Okay. Okay. And then that's obviously led you onto the lifestyle medicine side of things that you've obviously been working on for, for quite some time now. Um, for our listeners, particularly maybe those who've not really done got much experience in this area, could you just give us a little bit of an overview as to what lifestyle medicine is and, uh, and what's included within that, please? 
Okay. So lifestyle medicine is how our lifestyles affect our health. So the sort of main um, four um, parts of that would be how we eat, how we sleep, how we move and how we relax or how we connect with other people as well. Okay. And they have a huge influence on chronic disease. So sometimes people will say to me, oh, you know, I think I'm going to, I'll probably get diabetes because my dad had diabetes. Mm. But we now know that genetics has quite a small role to play in in handing on disease, probably about sort of 10%, whereas the rest of it is often is lifestyle related. And we also know that with chronic disease, and what I mean by chronic disease is things like sort of blood pressure, diabetes, um, heart disease, dementia, um, obesity, um, is that about 70% of, um, uh, sorry, about um, uh, up to 70% of chronic disease like that is related to our lifestyles. Up to 70%. Yes. And what's really useful about lifestyles is actually we can use our lifestyles to help either prevent or treat those chronic diseases. So we now know with things like diabetes, we can reverse diabetes with lifestyle changes as well as help treat diabetes with lifestyle changes. Okay. That's not something I was aware of myself. And Mm -hmm. when you say these lifestyle changes that particular can reverse diabetes let's say what what sort of changes might they be so if we look say around food for instance um Mm -hmm. that would be say looking at at lifestyle changes there's i don't think it matters what kind of diet you have you know whether you're a pescatarian a vegetarian a vegan i think that really doesn't matter what matters is what you're actually eating so okay It's things like I would say to people, you know, unprocess your diet. Anything that comes in a packet with more than sort of five ingredients on the back is a processed food, all right? And therefore contains lots of sugar and salt and fats that are like trans fats that are really bad for us. So start eating real food, food you can recognize. Um, increase things like your fruit and vegetable and fiber, maybe beans, pulses, lentils, okay? Um, And reduce the amount of sugar you have in your diet. And I think sugar is a difficult one because most people would say, um, oh, I know cakes and biscuits have lots of sugar in, but they don't realize things like white bread, white pasta, uh, Mm. fruit juices have huge, they raise our sugars as well. Yeah. is a problem because it affects what we call insulin and that subsequently can lead to diabetes. Um, And we know that um, things like, if we do things like exercise, say, is another factor in lifestyle. Um, We know that if we do sort of 20 minutes exercise uh, every day, sort of 150 minutes a week, you know, we can reduce things like um, our diabetes levels, but also our heart disease levels by about the same as if we took a statin tablet. So it can be as beneficial to people, say, with heart disease or diabetes as perhaps taking a statin tablet. Now, I'm not advocating anyone stops any medication. I'm a traditional NHS GP, and I think what you have to have a look at is, yes, you are going to maybe have some certain tablets to treat your disease, but don't ignore lifestyle changes. Yes. Um, you know, and we know things like dementia, you know, 
if people have a healthy lifestyle, they're 60% less likely to develop dementia than if they have an unhealthy lifestyle. And can that be factors such as exercise and, and the diet as opposed to, because I don't know if, if any of our listeners have, have heard this sort of thing as well, but I've heard um, from a few places that, you know, if, if you keep doing crosswords or you keep doing um, word searches or, you know, keeping your brain busy, that's something that can help, for want of a better expression, stave off dementia. But are you are you thinking more along the lines of, is it, it can be your diet and your exercise that can help stave off dementia? I think it can be a combination of things. So I think how you eat, how you move, things like how you sleep, okay, which is quite problematic for quite a lot of people, particularly mm. as people get older, um, and how they relax. And I think mental agility, like the crosswords and things, do keep people more cognitively um, alert, um, and they are very good for sort of the brain. They're like brain exercise. So I think they're yeah. that sort of thing alongside the lifestyle factors. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. And how would the acupuncture experience that you've got link to lifestyle medicine? Is that something that you've, there's a direct correlation between or is that, are they kind of two different in area, would you say? They are two different areas. However, what I find is the type of um, symptoms people come to me with in my acupuncture clinic often have lifestyle causes. So okay. you might be looking at other things, um, like someone might come to me with migraine or irritable bowel syndrome, for instance, okay? And often we can look at their lifestyle and improve things by changing, look at their lifestyle and improve their symptoms by changing some lifestyle factors. So okay. for instance, in migraine, some dietary things and foods that raise sugars quite high can affect migraine levels because uh, you get the sort of sugar dips. So that's important to look at. Um, you may find an irritable bowel. Again, there may be an element of diet, but there may also be a lot of stress with people with irritable bowel syndrome. So then we talk about um, the stress and sort of running in what we call fight or flight a lot of the time with people with irritable bowel and how can they learn to calm themselves. So I don't think the two lifestyle medicine and acupuncture related, but often okay. in the acupuncture clinic, I do a slightly more holistic approach is what I'd say. I and see. Things. I see. And I suppose that your findings in that respect, when you take into account the lifestyle of the patient, you can find things that you, you wouldn't necessarily find if you were purely just looking for symptom A or symptom B that might more traditionally be associated with an ailment. Yes. I think that in traditional medicine, we've um, sort of got down to different parts of the body. So if you have a heart problem, you see a heart specialist. If you have a gut problem, you see the stomach specialist. Mm. If you have a head problem, you see the head specialist, etc. And I think we forgotten a little bit that there is a whole person yes and so lifestyle and how they live their life really affects the whole person and we need to look at both the how the mind and the body work together really in that okay okay no that's, that's fascinating um and in, in terms of some examples as to how lifestyle can affect health i know that you've, you've touched on how um 
you know, dementia can uh, be led to by a poor lifestyle or in terms of uh, diabetes and that sort of thing. Um, for our listeners, could you just give another few examples as to perhaps things you've come across in your experience in terms of, you know, the effects of somebody's lifestyle not being quite up to spec, whether it's, you know, poor diet led to something in particular or not enough sleep led to something in particular? Hmm. So I would say um, probably let's take the lifestyle of stress. Yes. Stress uh, or relaxation, whichever side you want to look at, has a huge influence on our health. So in my clinic, I see uh, sort of recently, I've seen someone, say, with fibromyalgia or I've seen someone with long COVID or someone else with sort of what we call chronic back pain. And interestingly, I would say in all three um, parts of that, I have seen elements of stress or lack of relaxation. Okay. Okay. That's had a huge influence on their health. And that can be present stress, you just stress at the moment, but it also can be what we call like um, childhood trauma or stress mm. in the past, or it can be stress of mental illness, depression, anxiety. So those things all feed in to the symptoms the patient is getting. I see. And in terms of what you've mentioned there, even if it's something that from the past and if it's childhood trauma for instance that's something that can affect somebody for the rest of their lives if they don't deal with it in a certain way in terms of you know their lifestyle is forever affected by that would you say i think that you can change things i hugely okay. So someone, if we're talking about past uh, trauma and stress, say in childhood, um, we do learn certain things in childhood. And because of trauma in childhood, our brains can develop in different, slightly different ways. And the connectivity in the brains can be different. And our brain cells can work in a slightly inflamed way. Right. So we create sort of certain pathways, but we can unlearn them. Okay. I see. Uh, okay. It's probably moving a little bit more into the sort of mind-body medicine side of things. Um, but within that, we include lots of, lots of things in education around lifestyle. Okay. Well, that brings us quite nicely on to what I also wanted to be able to discuss with you today, the, the mind-body medicine. Um, again, very similarly as you did with the uh, the lifestyle medicine. Could you just give our listeners a bit of an overview as to what the mind-body medicine is, please, Anna? Of course. So again, in traditional medicine, we're often looking for structural organic causes for disease. Mm. And sometimes there just isn't one. So you go and see your GP and you've got bowel symptoms or you've got uh, headaches or back pain that's been going on a long time. Um, and the doctor does some blood tests or investigations and they all come back fine. And they say, no, all your investigations are normal. And you're left thinking, but I've got all these symptoms like my irritable bowel, my chronic headaches, my back pain. What can I do with them? And mind-body medicine tends to look about how our mind affects our bodies and how our bodies affects our minds. Mm -hmm. And we look at the root cause of disease which actually is often um, related to, as I mentioned, childhood trauma or what we call adverse child events in childhood. It may be related to stressful events in their present life at the moment. And what I mean by that is sort of a chronic ongoing stress, which is 
can be unhelpful and difficult to deal with. It can be related to mental health issues like depression, anxiety, or it can be related to lifestyle factors. Um, and we look at how all those things influence the way the brain interprets certain symptoms. And the brain's often on a slightly fight or flight mode. And so it sends out messages of either physical symptoms like fatigue or bowel symptoms, bladder symptoms, etc., or things like pain, messages of pain for people with fibromyalgia or chronic pain. I see. And in terms of the obviously correct me if I'm wrong but it sounds to me as though the, the mind body medicine it can be something that has uh, let's say affected somebody for a very long time and like you say there might not necessarily be this kind of um, black and white answer as to what the ailment is you know it might not be something physical but if, if there is an ailment of the mind it can show itself physically and affect people in various ways whether like you say that's um, irritable bowel syndrome, whether that's a, a sensation of pain, something like that. Yeah. Is that along the right lines, would you say? Yeah. So what I often say to patients is, look, um, you'll get it. Let's, let's use the example of irritable bowel, for instance. So you're getting symptoms, bowel symptoms. Okay. Those sensations send messages up through your spinal cord to your brain. Your brain interprets those symptoms. And often because of past trauma or present stress or mental health issues the brain interprets them as threatening and so you set off your fight or flight response which leads to physical symptoms okay okay so the brain interprets them in a certain way and you get physical symptoms and then what happens is obviously the per the the person gets anxious or fearful because they've got these symptoms and fear fuels the fire of the symptoms. So it kind of, as anxiety and fear kind of keep the symptoms going and prolong them. I see. And it's all happens, all this happens unconsciously and automatically. The patient has no idea this is what's going on. But it, it's just that our minds and bodies do work together rather than separately. And we need to look at the whole person within it. Yeah, I think it, from what you're saying there as well, Anna, I think it seems very much as though the the norm, shall we say, for want of a better word, is to assess somebody physically. Um, and if there were something more mind-related, let's say, you might be sent off to a psychologist or a, a specialist of, of that field. But it sounds to me as though GPs, even NHS GPs, can take a look at things, maybe not within that traditional kind of 10-minute to 15-minute uh, patient slot but there's certainly work to be done there in that you know there, there are ailments where you might have a recurring patient shall we say who keeps going back over a prolonged period with the same ailment but if we look at their mind then there's a potentially different way of, of assessing and, and treating them um, yeah I think there is I think what's really difficult for GPs is with a 10-minute consultation it's very difficult to manage all of that because often what they're trying to do as a GP exclude any serious or organic disease yes um, I think um, also at medical school we're not taught a lot around medically unexplained symptoms or chronic pain and I think therefore GPs don't necessarily have the resources um, and I think there are a lot of resources out there for patients um, which are very helpful. There are a number of books, podcasts, um, apps that are all really helpful for them, uh, which we can talk about if that's that's useful. 
Yeah, please do. Please do. That'd be um, interesting to learn more. So I think, I mean, there's a couple of books. I'm just looking at my bookshelf, actually. Um, so <laughs> one book I'd, I'd probably recommend is um, Chronic Pain by Georgie Oldfield. And she also okay. runs a website called uh, Sirpa, S-I-R-P-A dot org, uh, which is also very helpful for people with chronic pain and medically unexplained symptoms. Um, and there's another book, The Pain-Free Mindset by Dr. Deepak Ravindran, He's the pain consultant at Reading Hospital, and he's written a very much a sort of holistic approach to dealing with pain and medically unexplained symptoms. Um, okay. And then um, there's the app called Curable, um, which is very useful for people with chronic pain and other symptoms, and um, the podcast Like Mind, Like Body is very helpful. Okay. So there's a lot out there but I think often you know GPs are trying to deal with so many things at the moment they're often not resourced yeah. and patients don't really know where else once their their tests are normal they don't really know where else to go but there mm. are resources out there okay and in terms of what is out there and your experience of treating patients through um, mind body medicine what have you seen to be some of the benefits of this Anna have you have you got particular um you know, examples of whether it's been childhood trauma or, or current stress or anything like that, that you've seen somebody uh, deal with, take on and and move past? Mm. I mean, I think it's, it's almost such a relief when you talk to patients about it and you explain this pathway that's been set up between the sensations in their body, how the brain has automatically and unconsciously processed it and their symptoms. It's almost like a light bulb moment for many people. Mm. And um, once they can get that, if they can understand that, um, then they can start unlearning their symptoms or recognizing it. Okay. We'll do a little bit. What, what we would tend to do is we'll educate them about what is going on in the body-brain pathway so they understand it. Okay, so it's got somewhere to sort of hang their hat as such. Um, and then um, we will do things like education around lifestyle. So things like how people sleep, how they relax, how they move, how they eat has an effect on mental and physical health Okay. So around lifestyle for them. And then we'll look at things like emotional health um, and stress in their lives and how they can sort of um, learn to understand their emotions which give them um, certain thoughts, which then lead to certain behaviors and physical symptoms. So we'll kind of take it back to the root cause of emotions. And okay. that leads through things like um, some people find journaling very helpful, for instance, writing down things emotionally, mm. you know, looking at the situation and saying how they felt at the time. Um, other people find things like what we call somatic tracking very helpful. So rather than being anxious and scared about their symptoms, you can sit with them and almost be curious about your symptoms. Because right. you're calming yourself down rather than if you're getting very anxious about your symptoms, you're kind of fueling that fire again, mm. fear and anxiety. Um, and there's sort of slight CBT approaches, the way we look after ourselves. Um, we do other, we talk about other things such as um, mindful self-compassion, 
where you look after yourself like a friend would look after you rather than kind of having negative talk and beating yourself up about things. Um, so there's quite a lot of little techniques that we may use to help people untangle those pathways that have kind of slightly got entrenched. I see. Okay. And it, it seems then as though, and again, please do correct me if I'm wrong, but if, if the benefits um, of mind-body medicine are found to be effective, you know, and you are able to help somebody who may be, let's say, you know, if it's a pain that they're suffering with and it turns out that it's related to current stress or something like that, um, I would imagine then that that gives somebody the, should we say, the arsenal of, of ways of dealing with that long-term um, so once that ailment's been uncovered, it's something that they know how to deal with in the immediate future, the distant future, everything like that, as opposed to it being an ailment where they have to keep coming back for medication or they have to keep coming back for treatment of some sort. Would that be right? Or is, is that? Absolutely. And I think, I think, you know, traditional medicine doesn't have the time really for seeing people regularly for these things. And that's why I think if people can self-resource themselves, and maybe see a mind-body practitioner or a holistic, you know, approach practitioner, that can be very helpful to sort of help them on their way. Um, but you're right. I think if they can grasp the concept and make some small changes, they'll start to see progress. Certainly I have seen that in my patients that I see in my clinic. Okay. Okay. And it, it, I suppose in that regard as well, with, with the patients that you are seeing, do you find that depending on, depending on what the ailment is, some, some of them are quite easy to solve relatively quickly or some of them take a long time to, to break down and really understand and then treat? Is there quite a range in that respect? Absolutely. I think it really depends on the person. So, and I think the other thing is if someone right at the beginning can't, take on, can't understand or take on the concept of mind-body medicine, and they're quite close to that concept, they they won't get well. They have to be open to the concept, and they have to do some work themselves. Okay. Benefit. Um, but yes, I see huge benefits if people are open to it. And you, you know, everyone's slightly different. Some people find um, that you know sleep is a huge stress to them. Therefore, if they can work on their sleep a little bit, that would really benefit them. Other people say or no, I'd like to work on my stress first. I'll just start with emotional journaling. So it's finding what works for different people and working okay. along at their pace. Okay. Okay. And um, I suppose really for anybody who wanted to look at getting into these areas, you know, if there's any um, junior doctors listening um, to the podcast or even uh, experienced doctors who want to move into it as you have, um, can you give any tips or advice as to how to potentially look at getting into lifestyle medicine or mind-body medicine or, or both? <laughs> um, so lifestyle medicine, I'd start with looking at the um, British Society of Lifestyle Medicine because they do the diploma and everything there. So there's a lot of information there for you. Or other websites like Inspired Medics is another lifestyle site that I've used a lot. Um with regard to mind-body medicine, I think the SERPA website that I mentioned earlier, SIRPA.org, and the other one that's quite is very useful is unlearnyourpain.com. And that's Dr. Howard Schubiner. He's done a lot of mind-body medicine work as well. And on both the SERPA and the Unlearn Your Pain, they both do courses on mind-body medicine. Okay. So reading some of the books I mentioned earlier. 
Um, the Pain-Free Mindset, I think it's a great book for doctors to read to start understanding chronic pain and medically unexplained symptoms. Going off what you mentioned earlier, um, with regards to uh, at medical school, there's not as much attention given to this as there is kind of the more physical ailments that uh, patients may be suffering. Do you feel as though, I don't know if stigma is the right word, but do you feel as though there is a little bit of, um, or, or rather a lack of understanding from, let's say, the NHS, for instance, for things like mind-body medicine? I think it's really difficult because I, I think it's a real shame that at medical school we don't spend more time on chronic pain or medically unexplained symptoms because they are a huge, you know, about 30% of people in general practice have chronic pain and medically unexplained symptoms. So it's a huge wow. uh, number of people. Um, yeah. And I think, and we say something like up to sort of 50% of people in secondary care have illnesses that don't have a structural organic cause and have a sort of mind-body cause. Um, so it is, it's, it's very sort of broad. You know, there's a lot of, lot of people out there with these conditions. Um, I think the problem probably is the NHS is, is sort of time restricted. And I think that, you know, often traditional doctors are looking for a structural problem. And as soon as they haven't found a structural problem, then that's it. They, that's good. We've excluded X, Y, and Z. You know, you can go off now. And I, I think we're not set up really for that holistic approach, probably because of time and resources. Okay. Is, is there any way that you think that could particularly be improved? If, I mean, if you were able to implement a plan as such, is there a way that you think that could be improved so that patients can more easily be seen for mind-body medicine treatments? I mean, I think the way to go from the NHS point of view is ideally to resource more doctors so people are aware of it. And yes. the doctors maybe read a book or see a website or whatever. And then doctors, you know, you don't, in, in my NHS clinics, you know, I don't often go through lifestyle, for instance, in detail, but there's a very good lifestyle book called um, The Four Pillar Plan by Dr. Rongan Chatterjee, which yes. I think is a fantastic book on lifestyle. It's well, it's well, really well researched. It's easy to read. And I often say to people, look, I haven't got time to go to this in detail, but this book is really worth you having a little look at and maybe just choose one chapter that resonates with you and look at some small changes you can make. And the same with sort of chronic pain and medically unexplained symptoms. I think if, if doctors had a knowledge of it, they wouldn't necessarily have time to spend a long time like I do in my clinic going through everything, but at least they'd be able to resource patients with correct rights yes. or information, which I think would be really helpful. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, just just from talking through what you've mentioned today, Anna, I think in terms of what uh, what benefits lifestyle medicine and mind body medicine as well can have. I mean, in my line of work, you know, I speak to GPs on a daily basis. I've spoken to a number whose specialist interest is is lifestyle medicine, but mind body medicine. Before we uh, got in touch, I, I oh, hold my hands up. I'd never heard of it. Um, and I, I certainly don't think I'll be alone in that respect. So I, I completely agree with what you're saying. I think it needs to be better resourced to medical professionals. I think it needs that more needs to be made of it to patients as well, you know, to make them aware that that could be something that's, that's ailing them um, and, and, you know, potentially seek help along the right avenue. So that that's something as well. Um, 
so yeah, I, I suppose as, as we're coming towards the end of this podcast now, do, do you have anything in particular you want to to add about either of these areas, um, well, lifestyle? What or- I would say is if you do have symptoms, it's very important you do see a GP and mm. have any structural or organic disease excluded. Yeah. Yes. Being a mind body medicine um, doctor, um, I think that's very important to just be aware of that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And is there anything else you'd want to add about about these areas at all? I mean, from a personal point of view, I think lifestyle can change your health and your outlook on life and your absolutely mental, physical health. And I think it has wonderful benefits. Um, so I would recommend it every day. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, um, thank you so much for your time today. And it's been great speaking. I'm sure that our listeners will find this a really insightful podcast as well. Um, are you uh, able to connect with anybody online? Is there anywhere, do you have a website or anywhere where anybody can find you? Yeah, I have a website called gpacupuncturaoxford.co.uk. I'm on Facebook and I'm on LinkedIn. So Facebook's at gpacupuncture and LinkedIn is Dr. Annas ML Smith. Wonderful. That's brilliant. Um, as always, listeners, um, you can find our podcasts on all the usual streaming services, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and, and even Amazon now. Um, if anybody wants to check out Anna online, uh, as Anna's just mentioned, those websites, and we'll also put a link to those websites as well, if you're happy for us to, Anna, um, with the podcast when we post it on social media. Um, and in the meantime, yeah, thank you so much for your time, Anna. It's been really great to speak with you today. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to the Illuminating Primary Care Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you're a practice looking to recruit permanent care,